Stroud watching for the end zone. Jump ball. Touchdown, Smith and Jigba. Are you kidding me? Fourth and five, the national championship on the line right here. He's going for the corner. Rivalry week delivered what could be the most straightforward college football playoff selection Sunday to date, or did it? Is Ryan Day's seat really getting hot? And has Clemson's reign atop college football run its course? This is the Saturday Cadence podcast presented by the Silver Bulletin. I'm your host, Blake Biscardi, alongside Dave Wertheim, who's back this week. Dave, let's start with something you wrote in your article following the Ohio State-Michigan game on Saturday. You said hitting 333 will win you a batting title in the MLB, but in this rivalry, it might get you fired. Yeah, well, Ryan Day uh, has now lost more games against Michigan in three tries than Urban Meyer and Jim Trestle did, and I believe it was 17 or something like that. Um, obviously, you know, going one for three in this rivalry isn't good enough. And as a lifelong Ohio State fan, used to winning in this rivalry, albeit with some lesser Michigan teams that aren't as good as they are now, um, but they went three and zero, and I was a student there recently. Um, you know, personally, I'm just not used to these kind of losses, and for it to happen in back to back years, you know, it really says something. I know we'll get into it more in depth here in just a minute, but you know, it really says something about the state of Ohio State and where they're at right now. That not only have they lost two out of the last three, but they've lost them back to back. Yeah. Before we unpack everything about the game, like you mentioned, in recent years and our young lifetimes. Ohio State has dominated this rivalry, and it's not been the quote-unquote rivalry where it's back and forth. So these last two years, and then if you add 2020 when the game got canceled, Ohio State's not won the game in technically three years. So this is that first taste of, again, like a drought for young Ohio State fans. You see a lot of the older guys or middle-aged guys talking about this is what the 90s felt like when the teams were so good, and then they ran into a Michigan team who just upset them. So this is really that first taste of the back and forth of the rivalry. And, you know, some of those fans say, oh, I want Michigan to be 11-0. I want them to be at their best, and then we take it from them at the end of the year. Well, you got what you wished for in this one. They took it from you this time, and it hurts. But it's the greatest rivalry in sports, and we all claim that as Ohio State fans and young Ohio State fans in that way. But it hasn't been that rivalry, and now it is. So, you know, you're in it, you're living it. But there's a potential for a rematch. Uh, in the playoff of some chaos happens. So we'll see. But um, what were your biggest takeaways watching the Ohio State-Michigan game? Because there's different points of view here, depending on your camp. Well, I mean, 365 plus, you know, 368 or whatever the number is days ago, Ohio State lost to Michigan. And Ryan Day went out in the offseason and said Ohio State needs to be tougher. They need to be more physical. They overhauled the defensive coaching staff. They brought in a new offensive line coach, and none of it worked. And the same thing happened again uh, in 2022. Ryan Day is going to have to answer again to the toughness of his team, this and that and the other. We're going to have to hear about it for a whole other year. And maybe that'll be it. If they lose again next year, that's probably it for Ryan Day in Columbus. I don't think he gets another chance after that. Um and it's really frustrating to see that 
you know, we, we've noticed these variables, right? Obviously, for years, Ohio State beat Michigan by running the football, having a strong defense, a strong offensive line. They were tough in the trenches, and they were not on Saturday in this game. And, you know, you look at it over the years, and Jim Tressel and Urban Meyer, obviously, there for a lot longer than Day has been. But you notice they won, and they won perennially throughout their tenure. And Ryan Day has not done that. The script has totally flipped. Michigan has been the more physical team uh, both of the last two times. And, you know, it just seems like at this point, you, you always hear in the state of Ohio that Ohioans just get it more. You know, they understand the rivalry more. They were born into it. And I'm sure the same goes for people who were born in Michigan or in Jim Harbaugh's case, played for Michigan, uh, things like that. But Ryan Day, not an Ohio guy. Jim Trestle obviously was. Urban Meyer was. Ryan Day, not an Ohio guy. Only an assistant for a couple of years before becoming the head coach. And maybe he just hasn't had long enough to digest that this really, really matters. You know, it really matters. It matters more than the result on the field. It's a bragging right for two states. Whoever wins gets bragging rights for a whole year over, not really just football, over what the state means to them. You know, which state is the better state overall? And a lot of that comes out of what happens in that game the Saturday after Thanksgiving. And, you know, it just seems like Ryan Day's teams have, have just not been prepared. And on Saturday, leading at the half and then to come out in the second half and just do every single thing wrong. They couldn't run the ball. They couldn't pass the ball. They couldn't defend the run. They couldn't defend the pass. Even the special teams, they try to run a fake punt. They can't even run a fake punt. I mean, it's just, it was a total lack of preparation and a total lack of execution. And it just wonders what they have been doing for 365 days, because you see for so long Ohio state this year in some of their games running this vanilla offense. And they're just, just, you know, you're thinking in the back of their mind, Oh, they're just saving it for Michigan. They're saving it for Michigan. They're going to break something out here. Maybe it was that fake punt. Who knows? Whatever the case may be, the offense didn't really change a whole lot except for who was running it running back. Nothing else really changed. They didn't have any wrinkles and you just wonder what they were doing there for all this time. If they really thought that, that they weren't going to have to make any adjustments from what they did in the regular season. And yeah, it worked for 11 games and it worked out really well. You're 11 and zero, and then you run into the most talented team you play on your schedule and you don't change anything. And you have probably your worst execution of the year. Everything goes wrong and, and you get it handed to you at home. This rivalry has a recipe to win it. And it's exactly what you said you know, going through the different areas of the game. And it starts with running the football. It starts in the trenches at the line of scrimmage. Which team can do that? And Ohio State did it in the first half. They did not do it in the second half. And it's not that they didn't do it in the second half. They did not do it in the second half at all. They were beat in every area in the second half, which really surprised you after what you saw in the first half because Ohio State had 500 yards of offense in the game. They moved the ball up and down the field. There was no issue with that in the first half. You could argue that it could have been 31 to 10 at halftime instead of 20 to 17. And then at that point, Michigan can't run the football because they have to then throw to beat you being behind by multiple scores. But even looking at the game and digesting it, Michigan had five plays that ended up being for five touchdowns for 340 plus yards. The other 55 plays, they only had 150 yards. That to me just shows you the different. Like it was not this big, huge blowout that it was if you look at those five plays. But at the same time, when you're watching the game in the second half, it's you're in a conundrum because Ohio State was getting beat at the line of scrimmage. They couldn't execute the fake punt. They had a busting coverage. So in the first half, they give the two big plays. Now, 
there was a bad angle on the first touchdown. And then the second one, Cam Martinez was in a blunder for what reason, I don't know. And then Cornelius Johnson is just running free for the end zone. So then you're in the cover zero. And when Ohio State first came out in that cover zero all-out blitz look on that third down for the first touchdown, I look over to my dad and I'm like, they better get the pressure there or else this is going to be a touchdown. And what happened? Touchdown. So you go into the half 20 to 17 knowing that, but then you come out in the same look. You didn't really make any adjustments. And that was the puzzling thing to me because we're watching a top three game. You know it's going to be back and forth. It's going to be a showdown. Teams might make a mistake or two. There might be a turnover. There's going to be big moments. There's going to be big plays. We saw all of that in the first half. But Ohio State has been so good at adjustments. And Ryan Day, in all four of his years so far at Ohio State, has been great at adjusting. Jim Knowles has adjusted well all year. And it seemed like they did the opposite of adjusting. And I have to give credit to Jim Harbaugh and his staff because watching the game, Michigan's identity is running the football. That's where they want to beat you. We told you in the show last week that that's their identity. That's what they want to do. We said Kate Stover and Julian Fleming would have to make big plays. Stover had multiple opportunities, dropped multiple passes, including a touchdown and a big fourth down conversion that he could have had. Both plays would have swung the game. I don't know if Ohio State loses if he catches both of those balls. But Jim Harbaugh and Michigan could not run the ball worth a lick in the first half, but they stayed with it. And in the second half, they kept pounding the line of scrimmage. Michigan had one really good drive the entire game. It was eight minutes and it was demoralizing. Ronnie Hickman got a penalty in the back of the end zone for pass interference. Get the ball to two, score a touchdown. Okay, get the air sucked out of you. But it seemed like Ohio State gave up after that. Because after that, Michigan came right back. Big play, Donovan Edwards. Big play, Donovan Edwards. And now you're like, what in the world just happened? This game was close with seven minutes to go for 53 minutes. This game was close and competitive on the scoreboard, on the stat sheet. Absent those big plays from Michigan. And then Donovan Edwards just sticks a knife through your heart and then took it out and put it right back in with that last run. So when you're looking at the game, there's so many different ways you can digest it because those five plays, if Ohio State could just not have the lapse in coverage, not get caught in a blunder, not miss a tackle, okay, game looks completely different. But you're sitting there like, okay, five plays cost them the game. Did it really? Or did they just get manhandled in the second half? There's so many different ways you can look at the game, and it's really hard to actually come away with an accurate picture because they didn't look like Ohio State in the second half. They had a really bad half. And I don't know what Ryan Day does to make that up after bringing in Jim Knowles. And then what you brought him in to happen didn't happen in the first half. And then it happened in the second half. And you're like, all right, great. Why is he here? I just don't understand. I mean, it seemed like Ohio State tried, I guess. Now that I think about it, tried some wrinkles and tried to outsmart Michigan. But they all were just don't really make any sense. Like, why is Cam Martinez even on the field there? The guy has 15 tackles this year. He doesn't have an interception, no sacks, no forced fumbles, anything like that. No passes defended. He has 15 tackles the whole year. Why is he out there against Michigan, especially with the stable of safeties that Ohio State has with Lathan Ransom, Ronnie Hickman, Tanner McAllister, Josh Proctor? Uh, that's at least four guys off the top of your head that you say, hey, that guy should probably be in there over Cameron Martinez so that that one didn't really make a whole lot of sense to me it didn't seem like he really should have been on the field there and that's you know not necessarily a discredit to him it's just that Ohio State has four better safeties and and it doesn't really make sense that he's he should be on the field there um you know and without the experience all season obviously you're not going to be as sharp as maybe some of those other guys 
And then on the other side, you mentioned Cade Stover. Like, why are you throwing him the ball there when you have Marvin Harrison Jr. most of the time one-on-one throughout the whole the whole game? And, you know, I don't understand why you're dialing those plays up for Cade Stover. Yeah, he's been good this year, and, and he's, he's shown reliable hands. But you have a Bolitnikov finalist, you know, one-on-one there, and I just don't understand why those plays aren't being targeted to him. Um, and then you look, Chip Trainum ran the ball well. Uh, but Dallin Hayden had been running the ball well for you also all year. And, and he has two carries the whole game. And, you know, that one just didn't make a whole lot of sense. Maya Williams gets the first carry and then he's done after that. Um, you know, some of the things that they did just didn't really make a whole lot of sense. And uh, you wonder just why every single thing seemed to go wrong. Like, why did they do the things that they did? It seems like when you look back at it, they were almost trying to lose. Yeah, the. I'm going to walk through all the things you just said, all the different components. We'll start with the the back end of the defense. Ohio State safeties, like you mentioned, that's been their strength the entire season. The corners have been shaky, unreliable at times. They've made some plays, but again, you're coming out in a cover zero. That means you're trusting your corners to be on an island in man coverage. That is it. There is no help. You're walking up the safeties. Linebackers are walked up. I mean, it is completely on an island. And they got beat once. Then they got beat twice. Then they got beat right out of the half or third time. Why are you still in cover zero like that? Michigan was not running the football. They couldn't do it. Quorum wasn't in. And Edwards is hobbled. And in Edwards' case, he's not a threat out of the backfield to catch the ball because he has a cast on his right arm and he can't catch. So you know if Edwards is in, he's going to either run the football or they're going to throw the ball to one of the wide receivers. And now Michigan's wide receivers are not Ohio State's wide receivers, but they're still very good wide receivers in the big 10. I mean, Ronnie Bell's been great. I know he's been hobbled with his injuries and stuff, but he's a, he's a talented player. Cornelius Johnson, he did some work last year. And then this year he had big plays over the middle. I mean, you have to respect at least part of Michigan's throw game. I know McCarthy hasn't been that accurate, but if you're trusting in your defense to be on an Island, at least have a safety back there, even one of them to just help just in case, because you saw them get beat and you kept going to it and selling out to stop the run. And then you got yourself caught in between no man's land of, do we stop the run? Do we stop the pass? What do we do? Jim Knowles all year long has been talking about big plays. He said, Ohio State's defense will give up big plays. He said, they need to not let those plays go for touchdowns. That's what happened. And that's exactly what happened. And you wonder, obviously he knows the big plays are going to come. That's the style of defense that he runs. They're going to happen. They did happen to Ohio State throughout the year periodically. And for most of the year, Ohio State was pretty good about either holding them out of the end zone or uh, stopping them on subsequent drives. And it didn't happen against Michigan. None of that happened. And you just wonder why Knowles didn't really account for that, especially after the first one or the second one or the third one or the fourth one. Why is there a fifth one? You know, I mean, it just doesn't really make any sense other than either a lack of effort or a no deviation from scheme. And I don't know which it's, which it is, or if it's both or whatever, but something went wrong and, you know, it's just, just really a, a disappointing loss for Ohio State. Maybe they'll get a rematch. I'm not too sure about that, regardless of whether they make the playoff or not. Um, so, you know, you might just have to wait till next year and, and see if things change and uh, go from there if you're Ohio State. Yeah, just the last thing on this topic is just like you were saying, have a Marvin Harrison Jr. out there not be targeted. It's almost a crime. And Cade Stover, whether you, whether you want to say he's a corn-fed county boy, he's country tough, Kate Stover is a great player. He's been good for Ohio State all year long in every way. But I'm not drawing up a big moment play 
to Cade Stover on that stage. It's just not happening. You have a Bolitnikoff finalist. Marvin Harrison Jr. is the son of a Hall of Famer. He's a freak athlete. He's been tremendous and reliable all season. Only receiver in the FBS to get 1,000 yards before his first drop, which came in that game in tight coverage. And you don't draw him up, a play up for him. Where's Marvin Harrison Jr. over the middle? Why was that not the call on that fourth and three or on that third and three or in the end zone there where you targeted Kate Stover over the top and you slid him out? If you're going to throw the ball in that instance, throw it to Marvin Harrison Jr. Kid has sure hands. He's been reliable for you all year. And if he's the one that drops it, then you know you gave it. The ball's in the hands of your best player to start to play C.J. Stroud, and it's going to your next best player for the conversion. That's the scenario that you want. And it was puzzling why Ohio State did not do that on Saturday. And again, if we get the rematch, we'll see. Both teams will have a chance to be healthy. It would really be intriguing to see. That would be that would be the only way you could unseat the stakes and the stage of the game we just saw on Saturday. So I, I would be interested in that rematch. I think it would be good. I still think Ohio State's one of the four best teams in the country. Uh, the selection committee came out and has Ohio State checking in at five, which means they need help on Saturday, either TC or USC losing. So we'll see how that plays out. But for Ohio State and for Ryan Day, there's some soul searching that needs to be done, especially on that toughness, which you spent the whole offseason on, and then you got out tough there in the late fourth quarter. Even mentally out tough, too. That was the other aspect, too. Michigan was the mentally tougher team. Yeah, they absolutely were. And and Ryan Day kind of lied to Ohio State fans for the last year, um, and at least misled them. And fans were expecting something different, and they just didn't get it. Yeah. But um, just on the whole note of the Big Ten and everything, we had some big hires over the weekend as well. Nebraska brings on Matt Rule. Wisconsin brings on Luke Fickle. Which one's a better fit? We'll talk about both of them real quick, but who's the better fit? Well, I think they're both great fits, and it's hard to compare. Um, really, Fickle, a Midwestern guy through and through. Uh, Wisconsin will be a great job for him. Surprised he left Cincinnati for that job. Thought he might take Notre Dame instead, but he wanted to you know, commit to seeing the playoff through and build on what he did last year, I, I suppose, and run it back one more time. Um, Wisconsin will be a great fit for him. Fits right into the Big Ten, a lot of experience, obviously playing and coaching for a decade at Ohio State. Um, he'll do really well there. He knows how to recruit the Midwest. He can come into Ohio and get some guys. He can come into, you know, probably lock down his home state. Obviously, Wisconsin every few years turns out a couple of big pro uh, products. Um, and Matt Rule at Nebraska, um, you read a lot of what people say about Matt Rule, and it's that he really is a good relationship builder. Um knows how to relate to not only the kids, but their coaches and families as well. Um, and he's won everywhere he's been in college. And I have no reason to believe that won't continue at Nebraska. Um, I think it's a good hire for them, probably the best hire they could make right now. And, um, you know, it's really good for the conference, good for the Big Ten that, you know, these two coaches were hired and uh, people will expect big things from them down the road. And both have obviously won in the past, Wisconsin a little bit more consistently in the last 20 years or so. But, you know, these are winning programs and, and these are winning coaches. So I think it matches up. Yeah, I think it's even more important for the Big Ten that these two coaches will be in the Big Ten West. And maybe you get a little bit of balance or at least an semblance of balance in the conference because it's so top heavy and so East heavy with Ohio State, Michigan and Penn State being in the East. And it's going to be even more interesting when you have USC and UCLA 
come to the Big Ten, whether they do away with divisions or not, but adding Lincoln Riley and Chip Kelly as well, the Big Ten might have the most coaching depth in the conference or in the country, excuse me. So it's really interesting to see that. I think Matt Rule is a splash hire for Nebraska. He's going to be a great fit, and he's the type of guy that Nebraska needs to resurrect that program and return it to its prominence. And then Luke Fickle, you said Midwest guy. He's a Big Ten guy through and through in his style. And Cincinnati kind of played Big Ten light football while he was there. I know you can only do that to a degree because of the talent pool he has access to. But Luke Fickle is going to be tremendous. Big Luke Fickle fan. Wisconsin's going to do well. They're going to be back to like when Brent Bielema was there. They have a tradition of winning. Luke Fickle went to Ohio State. He's embedded in that tradition of winning. He knows how to do it. He knows how to do it on the biggest stage. Really looking forward to what he's going to be able to build in Wisconsin. And then I'm curious what happens with Jim Leonard if they retain him on staff as defensive coordinator or not. I know that situation might be a little sticky, but Fickle's going to do tremendous things up in Madison. Yeah, on Leonard, I don't really know if I see it, especially since Fickle is a defensive guy himself. Uh, right. but yeah, you know, good for the conference. And like you said, uh, having those teams in the Big Ten West really hopefully will help uh, balance it out just a little bit. And, and hopefully, you know, it won't take away anything from the East, right? Hopefully it'll just make the West better and make the Big Ten more competitive in general. Yeah, definitely. And now we've got Championship Saturday coming up. It looks a little bit different than we thought it would have at the beginning of last weekend with a couple of upsets. LSU now no chance to make the playoff Clemson out as well. And then Oregon took a nosedive to the Beavers in the Civil War. So when you're looking at Championship Saturday and all the storylines coming up, really all the eyes are on TCU and USC. But more importantly, C.J. Stroud lost last weekend to Michigan, although he still played a pretty solid game, albeit the interceptions there at the end. Caleb Williams played well against Notre Dame. Did he lock up the Heisman? Or if he loses to Utah, does it go back to C.J. Stroud? Is there a debate? How do you see the Heisman now playing out? I think Caleb Williams gets it regardless. And, I, you know, C.J. Stroud just unfortunately was a byproduct of the uh, egregious mistakes on the field last week. It wasn't his fault, but it happened and he was there. So, unfortunately, I think uh, I think he's going to miss out. And, and Caleb Williams, well-deserved. He'll earn this award. And, um, you know, regardless of whether they win or lose, he'll probably play well on Saturday. So, uh, in theory, he'll deserve it. Yeah, that'll be Lincoln Riley's third quarterback to win a Heisman Trophy in the last six years, I believe. So when you're when you're looking at the playoff race now, it looks like Georgia and Michigan are locks. They came in at one and two, respectively, as you know everyone expected. Argument for Michigan being at one. Personally, I have them there, but again, one and two. That's where they're supposed to be. They're locks for the playoff. So this weekend now, TCU and USC. Who's more likely to get upset, in your opinion, if either team gets upset? I think it's TCU only because it's hard to beat the same team twice. Right. I don't know that Utah can do that. Uh, I think both of those teams, TCU and USC, will win. Um, you know, a lot of people are speculating a lot of different things, but Occam's razor, right? The simplest explanation is often right. And I right. think that means that USC and TCU will win this weekend, and that'll be that. It will be the least dramatic and anticlimactic selection Sunday we've had in the playoff era if those two were to win because then the playoff field would be set and there's no debate now if Clemson were to win last Saturday and not get upset by South Carolina maybe they get into the mix and then there's this resume war between USC and Clemson maybe but it's pretty cut and dry those two teams win the playoff field is set if they do not win does Ohio State or Alabama have a chance and which team has the better chance in your estimation I know we saw the playoff committee 
rank Ohio State fifth and Alabama sixth. Yeah, you can't jump Alabama over Ohio State now, right? That's pretty set and done right there. Neither team plays this weekend. Um, I think Ohio State has a pretty good chance if either USC or TCU lose. I think that Ohio State would jump either of them. If both lose, that's where it gets interesting. Uh, I think if both lose, it would be Ohio State at three and TCU at four. Uh, I think that the committee would use the rationale of we're not going to penalize them for playing an extra game in that scenario. Um, and I think that they would get the edge over Alabama, who would finish either fifth or sixth. Again, it wouldn't really matter. In that case, USC would head to the Rose Bowl and Alabama would head wherever. Um, or what it, you know, whatever the case may be this year with the bowl alignment. But um, it'll be interesting to see what happens in a loss. Like I said, I think uh, Alabama's pretty much done, uh, even if both of those teams lose. And Ohio State's sitting pretty there at number five. You know, if one of those teams goes down, especially USC, Ohio State's in. Ohio State's best chance is a USC loss. Now, I think with either team losing, they have the best chance to get in. Alabama does not have a pathway, in my opinion, because Georgia and Michigan both locks regardless. Then you get into this TCU debate, and TCU is in a bit of a conundrum here with their game if they lose to Kansas State because they already beat Kansas State. So now you get into this notion where they technically beat every team on their schedule. And then do you penalize them for playing that 13th game against the team they already beat? So they technically already beat them, but then they lost to them, but they still beat them. Like you kind of go back and forth on, can you really penalize TCU for losing this weekend because they lost to a team they just beat? So I'm not all the way convinced, like you said, that TCU would fall all the way out of the playoff if both were to lose. I think that you're right. It would be Georgia, Michigan, Ohio State, and TCU because TCU has already beaten them. I know they'll make the case for Alabama, but Alabama did lose twice. And TCU's loss can be quote-unquote forgiven because they already beat them. So I think, really, Ohio State's the only team outside of the top four with a chance to get in. And their best chance, if they want one of the two to lose, or only if one of the two to lose, would be for USC to go down to Utah again. But Cameron Rising, can he do it two times in a row? That's the style of team that would beat USC. Now, if you're looking at matchup-wise, because Utah plays that physical brand of football, they're big in the trenches, they're power football team, they play defense. I know we didn't see much of it last time, but that's the recipe to beat a team like USC that is a little bit smaller on the line of scrimmage. They're more finesse and you know high-octane offense, don't really play defense that much. They feast off a turnover. So Utah cannot turn the ball over if they want to win on Saturday or on Friday, actually. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see. And, um, you know, we'll look at Friday and then we'll look at Saturday. It'll be nice to have them on, on two different days and be able to, you know, really see after that first game, you know, what we need or what we don't need from TCU. So um, it'll be fun to watch and a good championship Saturday, even though it's not exactly how we thought it would turn out to be. Definitely. So let's hop into the picks and see what's going on here. We're going to start with the Pac-12 championship game in Las Vegas. USC is sitting as a three-point favorite right now over Utah. You hinted at this game earlier. What's your official pick? Yeah, I, I kind of telegraphed it with the Occam's razor thing, and I'm going to stick with it, uh, and I'll stick with it in the TCU game. I'll take uh, USC in the points here. All right. I'm going to take Utah. I think they can do it again. I'm just not sold on USC as a team. If they win, they've earned it. And Lincoln Riley can get all the praise that you want. But 
I'm in that camp that says USC and Lincoln Riley and Caleb Williams are going to get praise for the next three days. And then they're going to walk in and Utah's going to beat them and the playoff is going to take care of itself in that way. So I've got the Utes, Kyle Whittingham, Cam Rising, get it done and head to the Rose Bowl. Next, we have the AAC championship game. Tulane, again, a three-point favorite versus UCF. The spreads in all these games, they're either very tight or very big, as you'll see. Not many in the middle. Yeah, I'll take a UCF in this game outright. Uh, I think they're the more talented, athletic team. And Tulane, you know, big win over Cincinnati last week. And uh, that's very impressive to come in and, and beat them at their own place. That was the first time Cincinnati had lost at home since 2017. Um, so really big accomplishment for Tulane and um, very talented themselves, but I think UCF has the edge in this one. Yeah, this game is back and forth. I can see both teams winning UCF. Very talented team. Probably the most talented Tulane will have faced this far uh, in their conference, but I'm going to take the green wave here to hold it and to make that New Year's Six Bowl get the automatic bid by winning and being the highest ranked group of five team. So I I like Tulane to win in this ball game. And that brings us to the Big Ten Championship. Can the Purdue spoiler makers ruin Michigan's seeding in the playoff? The Wolverines favored by 16 and a half, coming off an emotional win in Columbus for the first time since 2000, more than two decades since the Wolverines last tasted glory in Columbus. I'm going to be honest with you. Unless Georgia loses, I don't see Michigan um, changing all that much. Even if they lose, I think they would just drop to three and TCU would jump to two in that scenario. And if TCU loses and, USC moves up and Ohio State gets in, then Michigan would probably stay at number two. And I think they're either going to be number two or number three, unless there's some catastrophic Georgia loss. Uh, For that reason, I don't think this game matters that much, but I think Michigan's going to win and I think they're going to cover. I think Michigan wins and covers too. It's just going to be like last year. They played Iowa. You're like, oh, maybe Iowa can get them with that defense. And Purdue, they're an unranked team playing the number two team in the country. Historically, that is the spot you take Purdue, not in Indy. Michigan's going to come prepared. They're going to come focused. Jim Harbaugh really has earned coach of the year in the Big Ten and what he's been able to do in the last two years. After that COVID year, you have to give credit where it's due. They cover. But before we finish our picks here, what's really interesting to me is we saw ESPN's FPI give Ohio State still, what, an 84 and 86% chance to make the playoff. After you saw the rankings come out and Ohio State checking in at five, what do you make between the two? Because you see the FPI says one thing projecting. I know that's a computer model. And the rankings say another. So does that tell you that there's not a lot of faith in either TC or USC this weekend? Yeah, I try not to pay too much attention to the models because that's all they are, right? Right. Uh, but something something is up, clearly. Um, it'll be interesting to see if it comes true. You know, numbers, they say numbers never lie. I just said, don't pay attention to the numbers. So we'll see who wins. Yeah, both spreads are a field goal or, or less. So Again, just really interesting as we go to pick these games here. Georgia will go to next in the SEC championship game playing LSU. Bulldogs favored by 17 and a half. Big number here. LSU surprised everybody and fell to Texas A&M, who's been abysmal this year. And now they find themselves as nearly three touchdown underdogs. Yeah, if if this was the spread and LSU had just beat A&M, I would say LSU for sure covers, right? Absolutely. Um, but now I think, you know, they had a really nice season, Brian Kelly's first year. Um, we're still in the playoff race as of last week. And now that they don't really have anything to play for, I just don't see this one staying that close. 
Yeah, I was thinking the same thing. And then earlier, something's just telling me to just take LSU and it, they get a backdoor cover late. So I'm going to take the Tigers. I'm going to see what happens. I would not be surprised by this at all. I also would not be surprised to see Georgia just roll in this game. I think they're the better team. They're the more physical team. They're the more complete team. I'm still going to take LSU. I feel like they cover late in this game. But the whole country is going to be watching the Big 12. Can TCU finish off the perfect season and get into the playoff? Kind of that 2014 redemption poetic justice. They're favored by two and a half over Kansas State, a team they were down 18-2 in the regular season and came back to win. Can they do it again, or does their luck finally run out? Ah, man, I'm sticking with what I said. Occam's Razor, TCU. (laughs) Give me Kansas State. Chaos it is. All right. I like them outright. And then our last game, ACC championship game, Clemson favored by seven and a half over North Carolina, who both teams lost last weekend and don't know who to pick. Yeah, it's too bad this game doesn't really matter at all either. Um, I'm going to yeah. take Clemson with the points, but I will not be watching. Sorry. I won't, I won't be watching this one either. I think this is the most we've disagreed, which is good for the show. But uh, I'm going to take North Carolina as the offense for whatever reason. Clemson just... I think their heart was just taken out from him last week. Quarterback controversy. Dabo Sweeney getting questioned of how he's running his program, his coaching staff. Give me Mac Brown in North Carolina. Drake May makes a name for himself before he potentially hits the portal after the season. I will take the Tar Heels. Could get interesting there with Drake May. You never know who's watching. Definitely. Yeah, so that's all we got for Championship Saturday here, Dave, right before we leave. Official college football player prediction one more time. Who are your final four? Same as this week, Georgia, Michigan, TCU, USC. All right. I'm going to take Georgia, Michigan, Ohio State, TCU. Okay, so USC and TCU lose. Ohio State slides to three. And you agree TCU stays over Bama at four. Yeah. Here's my question, too, actually. If TCU were to lose, and USC loses. Is there a case to be made for TCU to remain at three? Like a one a one score loss. That game is going to be close regardless. Sure. Ohio State just lost to Michigan, but TCU already beat Kansas State. Could they hold that spot at three if USC also loses? Yeah, I think that's fair, and I think that would uh, probably be better so it wouldn't set up an immediate Ohio State-Michigan rematch. Right. I think Michigan lucks out in that scenario, though. They do. Yeah, and you could argue that Georgia was the other loser in the Ohio State-Michigan game because now if Ohio State makes the playoff, they've got to play Ohio State instead of TCU or USC, which they'd much rather play, no disrespect to those programs. But if you're looking matchup-wise, you don't want to play the Buckeyes if you have TCU or USC also on the table there. Yep. Just like they wouldn't want to play Alabama just because. Right. I mean, prestige matters and absolutely perception matters and – We'll see how much it matters to the committee if, if one of these upsets indeed happens. But, you know, I, I'm sticking with the, the four this week, and we'll see how that goes. But regardless, should be exciting. And, you know, splitting it up into two days will be nice. Half on Friday, one game on Friday, and another big one on Saturday. So we'll see what happens. For sure. And if I'm right and Ohio State makes the playoff, who do you give the advantage to in a rematch of Ohio State and Michigan, whether it's in a semifinal or the national championship. I'm not getting into that. I'm not going there yet. (laughs) Let's wait and see. We'll do another special if we get that far. I'm not getting into it right now. All right. Fair (laughs) enough. Yeah, guys, Dave, that's all I got for tonight. 
a uh, great show as always and uh, yeah. a great week of football ahead and only a couple more to go so we got to enjoy it while we can definitely uh college football extends a week for me i'm going to go see army navy in person so looking forward to that preview that on next week's show after we break down all the playoff and what we get to see well, guys thanks for listening excited for this week in the college football hopefully we see some chaos but this has been the saturday cadence podcast thank you for listening Thank <laughs> you.